Hey there, folks. What do you know? It's the Uticast. It's episode 280. And we are one day before the national election for president on November 3rd. Uh, if you are listening to this while you're voting, shout us out on Twitter. Um, and hopefully you'll enjoy this week's show while you're waiting in line because this week there will be no politics, mostly. 98, 99% no politics. 98% no politics. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to talk about some Halloween hangover stories, special segment of Thanks, I Hate It, special segment of Big Energy. We'll do some history lessons. We'll say farewell to a iconic local restaurant franchise. We'll answer your mailbag questions, our Spotify picks, all of that, and so much more as we take a deep, deep breath before we head into the rest of this week. Uh, episode 280, folks, featuring my awesome, amazing friend, Anthony O'Connell of Upper Feast. I'm so excited to have him on. A great show. Let's do this, folks. November 1st, here we are. I meant because we weren't doing politics, like a real chill vibe. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, yeah, we're also chill like that. We're also chill like that, having a very chill Monday. Over the show, uh, welcome back to the show, folks. It's the Cast, episode mm-hmm. 280. I gotta be honest with you, I have, I have really high expectations for this show that I decided to put low expectations into all the stories about. I see. Yeah, because uh, one, you know, getting doing the show, especially in the lead up to everything, you know, to the election tomorrow. If you haven't gone to vote, by the time you listen to this today, go vote and then listen to the voting. podcast while you're listening. If you're listening to the podcast while you're online, tweet us or something. Cool. Let yeah, us know. That's yeah, cool. that's actually really cool. If you're listening to this while preparing to cast your vote tomorrow, that's really cool. I'm into that. Yeah, love it. Um, but yeah, you know, I had to go to like different means to like find my stories this week it was a bit of a challenge i've been getting used to a certain flow for how to prepare the show over the last few years and the last you know and this show was a nice change of pace may i'll start doing no politics every week i'm ge- just gently corralling you away from that which causes you distress uh so yeah the other reason i have high expectations is uh i have a guest on the show who i've been thinking about asking to come on the show for a long time mm. but he's like he's a good friend of mine we used to work together as waiters in new york and i'm sure we'll talk about that when he gets on uh, my good friend anthony o'connell who uh if you don't know that name go to instagram and go to upper feast which is his uh his instagram profile and become one of his 109,000 followers damn. which is wild to me damn uh because he still chats me up on other streams i'm like you're big time now you don't need to that be my is, that's big time he's big time 109k i mean you're getting Product offers, all sorts of things. Yeah, I gotta ask him about DM that. DM me to collab on every single one of your posts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm really excited. I've talked about this story before, and I don't know if I ever told him this story, but you know, I, I've mentioned it many times in passing. Anthony O'Connell is the person who offhand came up with the title of the show Uticast. I was uh, mm. I was helping Anthony on his podcast at the time called Always Been Silly, which I don't think they do anymore. He was doing stand up. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And we were talking about, like, I was coming back to Utica, and he's like, you should just do a show in Utica and call it the Uticast. And I was like, that's pretty funny. Yeah, see? Uh, and then years later, you know, I come home, and I, I pitch the idea to Justin, and here it here is, 280 episodes later. And finally, the man who, I, I don't want to give him all the credit, because then he could sue us if we ever take come off, Come back right? to collect yeah, what's come his. Come back to collect, and he's I don't want that. Come back to collect. Uh, but real high expectations for Anthony. He's a great guy. I love Anthony. I'm really excited to talk to him. He's not in New York, I realize, as mm. I was doing this today. He's in Columbus right now, I back see. in his hometown of Columbus, which we were in. Right? I was trying to figure out if we were in Columbus back in the day. We've been in Columbus, yeah. Did we play the show in Columbus? In that we weird... played that weird showcase thing in Columbus. Was that the place? It was like in an old movie theater that was the no. state. What was that no. place? That place was in, that was somewhere else. In Ohio. Okay. It's so not Columbus. I'm glad I asked you now, because I was going to ask him, and he would have been like, you're making this up, this isn't a real thing. Yeah, no, okay, that place definitely right. wasn't Columbus. Cool. Uh, so yeah, really excited to talk to him. Uh, haven't had the interview yet either, so now I can build up this interview and build a lot of hype for it, and I haven't had it yet. So again, mm. high expectations. Yeah, I'm right? Like, you better be good now, because you haven't recorded it yet, so now I'm not you ever... set the bar for yourself. <laughs> I'm not going to tell him how high the expectations I'm putting on him are mm. uh, because he's a very sweet man and he'll be upset if I did that. I so see. I won't tell that to him when we do the interview. But if he comes back and listen, he'll know that I had very high expectations for him. We're all just caught up in your monsoon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, other than that, I you know, again, it is the day before uh, Election Day. Yeah, everybody should be voting. Everybody should always vote. Yeah. Anytime they let you vote for yeah. anything, cast your vote. I do. I will say though, doing the prep for the show was really nice. I got up this morning and I was going through all my stuff that I've been collecting this week for the show, and just reading through the the, the news we're gonna do, the stuff I was gonna do. I was like, "So this is pretty funny. This is pretty good." And then just before we were doing the show, I like clicked on regular news. I was like, "Just let me see if there's anything that I feel like I should check before the yeah. news started." And within two seconds, I was like, "Oh God, I shouldn't open this yeah. back up." Yeah. So I do think that for the rest of today, Monday, by the time people hear this, I am probably going to ignore. Any sort of like mainstream political news for this. You've already day. voted. I think that's fair. I, yeah. I think that's fair. I have a new book I'm going to start. It's called The End of October by Lawrence Wright. I'm going to mm. start it a little bit. Uh, it, it should relax me. It's a story about a pandemic that came out before the pandemic. Sweet. <laughs> called The End Very of cool. October. Very chill. I watched Contagion the other night. <laughs> so I'm right there with you. Oh, man. Uh, so, are you excited about the snow? Are you feeling good about snow outside? It's going to be gone in a couple days, but... Yeah, it's going to be gone soon. I mean, what am I... I'm not excited in the sense that, like, I woke up and broke into, like, song. Like, it was frozen. <laughs> like, you know, the first snow of the year. Um, it's fine. I'm not going to pretend that I didn't get a message from a family member that was a picture of snow being like, Snow! And I was like... <laughs> I was like, alright. I can't imagine who sent that. Just the weather update from imagine. up on the hill. Uh, so yeah, I, I, it is going to be warm out. It's a shame though that it has been so cold and so rainy. I've been talking to you for a week about since early election started. You've been very upset about the autumn. It's been raining. It's been crummy. And then just the right afterwards, like, oh, you want some snow in thirty nine? Here it is, Mm. just the last gasp. I don't know. Yeah, I've been thriving. I love rainy fall weather. Like towards the end of fall when it's just kind of rainy and starts getting cool and everything. I'm into it. I do wish we gotta gotta. It's about to be firewood time. Got to be firewood yes, time. Yes, I was thinking right, about so. that last night. I'm ready for firewood. I almost got some... You know what it is? It's like everything else. If I break the seal too early on firewood, it's not even the middle of November yet. Now Then we got to start getting firewood for like four months. Mm. Right? Then we got to have firewood all the time. We can't go back. Just got like <laughs> to get a cord. We should cut down this tree up in our house. What? 
You know, number one, number one, you nor anybody who tells you they have the tools are qualified to take down that tree no. in front of the house. No. It number two, you can't just chop that wood down and throw it right in the fire. That wood's got to dry and age and everything. It I wouldn't even you. burn. It would smoke. It would be terrible. What if I got us a kiln? <laughs> if I got us a kiln. Yeah, okay. I, yeah, I guess if, if I, you get a kiln. If I get I us guess a, if kiln, you get a kiln. Then we... If you purchase a kiln, go ahead and chop that tree in the yard down. Uh, I'm not just punch drunk because we've had to do, because election tomorrow because getting the show ready. Uh, we had daylight savings time happen mm. this weekend, which I erroneously it told you. It was hard yesterday. <laughs> it was hard. It felt like 2 a.m. at about 4 o'clock, and I'm just like, what? Uh, so, yeah, last night, uh, I guess it was last night. No. Saturday night? In the overnight of Saturday yeah. into Sunday. Uh, you could stay awake till 1.59 59 to see your phone click back to 1 a.m. if you so chose to. I don't know why you would choose to. I was no. asleep far before. I do, we say this every year. I feel like the impact of daylight savings time has been mitigated because most people read their time from their phone and their phone automatically changes their times now for the most part, I feel like. Uh, yeah. Like the smartphone yeah. crowd. There's no more story like, oh, the clock's in my house. I forgot to set them back. Now I'm late for the big test or whatever. <laughs> Uh, time zones, I was talking about this before, go all the way back to the late 1800s. It was suggested by the New Zealand entomologist George Hudson, who proposed a two-hour time shift so that we could have more time, so he could have more time to collect bugs. He's an entomologist, of course, that's what they do. Uh, so... got the time. <laughs> if you have the time, it's just like, it doesn't matter what it says on the clock, but uh... the time, the temporal reality is still the same. Uh, the U.S. Congress first enacted uh, daylight savings time in 1918, also adding time zones in the process. I like time zones. Gotta have time. Gotta zones. have time zones. Gotta have time zones. Uh, but I don't love daylight savings time. Uh, most recently, in 2005, Congress extended it by a month, stating uh, by starting it three weeks earlier uh, in March and ending it one week later in November. So they have rotated when daylight savings time has happened. It's not the Mandela effect. You leave haven't gone. I just leave it alone. <laughs> just leave it alone, you right? Don't, you don't need to change it. Uh, the the American Academy of Sleep Medicine believes that the United States should eliminate seasonal time changes in favor of standard time fixed throughout the year. Mm -hmm. uh, shifting from standard time to daylight savings time has been associated with increased re uh, risk of heart attacks, strokes, and hospital admissions. Mm -hmm. Even the fallback portion, they say, causes pro uh, problems which include increases in suicides. That's really dark. I don't yeah. Know <laughs> Jeez. I didn't know it was going to get that dark. I didn't read that far in the article before. This here. is what Jeez, happens. Louise. This is what happens when you play fast and loose. Uh, that being said, I have some local news. This is from WIBX. Uh, in accordance, uh, Senator Joe Griffo went out of his way to say that we will never have to worry. Uh, he wants, uh, he wants to have that. He wants daylight savings time to remain permanent. Uh, by leaving the occasion consistent, you could ideally lose the wonderful opportunity to gain an hour of sleep. But on the other hand, you would no longer lose the dread of night as you go to bed knowing you will lose an hour of sleep. Whatever your opinion of the matter, Joe Griffo has his way. You'll never have to worry again. He announced Sunday that he is introducing legislation that would make it a standard measurement in New York State. The first step to successfully accomplish a feat would be to gauge interest from legislators in neighboring states. I don't know exactly what he means by permanent. Does he mean like get rid of daylight savings time? It doesn't sound like he knows, uh, but yeah, sort of. <laughs> uh, at least it's time to turn the page on turning our clocks twice a year and give the civil interest in New York and contiguous states. It makes sense to do so regionally. I'm looking forward to working with my legislature. So he's saying to get rid of it in the region? 
Like they're just us to be like, nah, screw it. We're, it's not. I, I can't. I, I can't really tell what's happening here, but that's a bad idea. If that's what he's doing, that's a bad idea. You can't. You can't just have it be regional or even state by state. That's silly. It's everybody or nobody. Yeah, you kind of. It's like the DH rule. You can't. I feel like I you got to make a decision. Uh, all right, I'm gonna go quickly. I'm gonna quickly step back. I said to you there was no election coverage in this week's in this week's show. Mm-hmm. No politics. That was a lie. Kinda. <laughs> I see. I have a segment here with what I'm calling light politics because these are two stories that are vaguely about politics that I couldn't ignore. Uh, the first one is about Ronda Rousey. Okay, WWE superstar, former UFC fighter Ronda Rousey. Mm, the plot thickens. Uh, a report from Politico on Thursday detailed efforts by the Trump administration to launch a series of public service announcements aimed at educating people uh, about the pandemic. Uh, to do so, they essentially created like a dossier full of celebrities uh, to try and figure out which celebrities would be amenable to working with them and which ones wouldn't. Uh-huh. This, this isn't really the story, necessarily. In the article, if you go through the list, and I've read through it, there's a whole list of celebrities. Uh, Ronda Rousey is listed under her notes, her additional notes, as supporting Bernie Sanders in 2016, but expressing anti-feminist views, and also... That she was arrested during a WWE event in 2019. Uh. The event they're referring to is a scripted event. A made up <laughs> Where Ronda Rousey and fellow wrestlers Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair brawled with each other in the ring and kicked the windows out of fake cop cars with the extremely suspicious Metropolitan Police Force arresting them. I just thought this was really funny, and I think you can go on Raw and watch Ronda Rousey being arrested by police on YouTube, Mm. so go enjoy this story. I thought this was hilarious. I'm sorry. Uh, So, yeah, but this is listed as a real arrest because they didn't know any better. (laughs) These, I mean, these are the idiots. (laughs) These are the people that can't tell the difference. Uh, There's another part of the story that makes me laugh. Uh, Triple H, uh, Paul Levesque, who's a WWE employee, said in 2008 that Donald Trump called the WWE uh, during a storyline in which Vince McMahon was exploded in a limousine to make sure that Vince didn't actually die in the limousine, which is just the sign of being a good friend. If I was talking, <laughs> if I was, if I was coming out of the podcast this week talking about that kind of thing, I would say, of course, idiots <laughs> are going to idiot. <laughs> Uh, you know, Uh, (laughs) stupid is as stupid does. Uh, And I'll move on to, I guess, just a bad omen. Uh, On Tuesday night, uh, as it has done for every presidential election over the last three decades, children's television network Nickelodeon aired its Nick News Kids Pick the President special and revealed the the results of its Kids Vote poll, an informal, non-scientific survey on which children get to vote for the president. Mm. Except this year, the network said, the poll was attacked by bots. Of course. What are you doing trying to have a poll? If you're trying to have some poll on the internet, you're you're an idiot. Uh, The poll is open from October 20th to 26th, and on the second day of voting, Nickelodeon, a children's network, by the way, detected cheating when threads of online forums began discussing corrupting the kids' Mm. pick-the-president site. Everybody was writing in stick-stickly. Fraudulent votes. Subsequently, more than 1,300 I would love that if it was just a bunch of votes with, like, Nickelodeon character names on it. Like, oh, Stick Stickly voting for Trump. Chucky Finster. Oh, here's another one. Get your vote for Chucky Finster. (laughs) That's what you need. 
Uh, subsequently, more than 130,000 bot-generated votes were detected. Nickelodeon utilized a voter certification tool to identify these votes and remove them, ensuring that only individually placed votes counted toward the total. Do you want to know who won? Oh, my God. No. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Uh, with nearly 90,000 virtual, uh, virtual votes cast, Democratic candidate Joe Biden won with 53% of the vote, mm -hmm. while Trump received 47% of this vote, which I assume was only children and children only. <laughs> Yeah. On this children's voting booth. Definitely. Uh, I feel like this is a dumb thing for Nickelodeon to do this anyway. Is dumb. Yeah. But they guess uh -huh. they've been doing it forever, right? Yeah. It's been kind of a thing. Yeah, been dumb. <laughs> you want me to double down on the dumb? I got one part to the story as well. Bring it. Just <laughs> uncork the firehouse. No one's madder at Nickelodeon than libertarian presidential oh, candidate stop. Joe Jorgensen, who snapped at Nickelodeon over the weekend when she was left off of the twenty twenty kids vote election graphic. Mm. <laughs> Boy, if you had a nickel for every time you had to tell a libertarian to grow up. Sadly, Nickelodeon is complicit in introducing our children with only two parties, says Joe Jorgensen on Twitter. Um, I would have liked if there was a way for Nickelodeon to have dumped slime on this tweet, like yes. it was, uh, like it was. What do you call? Uh, but there you go. So that's it. Those are my two light politics stories of mm. the week. So there you go. Let's move into something I'm calling the Halloween Hangover, Kevin. These are stories that are either spooky or were fallover Halloween stories that we didn't get to finish up, didn't get to talk about last week. I see. Uh, and I'll start with this one. This is a story that came out of New York today, uh, my beloved New York City. Uh, and it's just a harrowing real-life story that I'm going to share with you folks out here. Uh, man, this uh, man today is hospitalized with injuries in New York City after a subway collapsing under him dropped him into a hole filled with rats. Uh, the incident happened near a bus station. Uh, surveillance video showed the person walking along the sidewalk on the Saturday uh, and then waiting by a building. After the figure takes a step forward, the sidewalk gives out under him and swallows up the person back foot first. Uh, he went down feet first, uh, the victim's mother said. He was standing and the sidewalk, uh, it just went down like a sunk hole. It sunk underneath him. That is horrifying. Yes. By the way. <laughs> Yeah, uh, she, uh, the mother described the harrowing ordeal saying, um, the rats down there were ridiculous, they were so big, the hole was more than 10 feet deep, and the, uh, the incident ended after about 30 minutes when firefighters were able to rescue the 33-year-old man. Rats were crawling on him, he couldn't move, he was just there. Uh, he says in a post-interview that he didn't want to speak or make any noise because he was afraid the rats would get in his mouth. Yeah, you'd fuck around and agitate the Rat King. <laughs> uh, I mean, this speaks to like a, a larger, more serious story about how New York has had a well-documented rat problem for years and the subways in major disrepair. There's nothing you can do about the rats. Oh my god. Really. I mean, at a certain point, I'm sure there's certain remediation effects that you can have to, to lessen problems in some areas, but you're never going to eradicate the rats from a city that size. No, and it's funny, too. I got so used to seeing rats in New York, and I'll ask Anthony about this when he comes on later. I used to look for rats in the subway like it was a game. Mm. Like, it was like, if yeah, I'd be yeah. waiting for the train, I'm like, any rats over here? Any rats fighting? Any little mm -hmm. entertainment here? Uh, this led me to this week's long read of the week for our listeners out there. Uh, Narratively.com, the article is called The Truth about New York's legendary mole people. It's a long-form essay about mm. uh, stories and articles about people who've lived in the sewer tunnels. Did you ever consider when you were living in New York just throwing it all away and becoming a mole person? 
I mean, not really. <laughs> not really. Not like in a, not in any like practical way. Like mm-hmm. you could, you know, I mean, like uh, there's a couple books I've read over the years where like characters have lived under this. In, this article will essentially tell you it's not quite as prevalent as people yeah, will tell it to be. But there's like a whole mythology of you know essentially. Uh, these people are cannibals, and they can see in the dark, and they speak their own creepy language, like horror movie stuff. Right. Uh, again, that's narratively.com. The article is the truth about New York's legendary mole people, if you want a creepy post-Halloween uh, read. Uh, here's another Halloween story for you. Uh, <laughs> this is about. A, this is from Richmond, Texas. Uh, Angela Nava had a Halloween display set up in front of her house that was shut down by the Homeowners Association. It was skeletons dressed up as strippers around a stripper pole in a strip club. So (laughs) I'll show you the pictures of it, if I can get them up on here. It's just like skeletons in pink wigs in front of something, like a sign that says the candy shop and it's Mm. dancing around a pole. Uh, This was not popular with the Homeowners Association here in Mm. Richmond. They forced her to shut it down. Uh, the, the complaints were that they, we, uh, the skeletons were offensively positioned and inappropriate. Kev, what are your thoughts about stripper skeleton display? Uh, first and foremost, I am never, ever, ever cheering for the Homeowners Association. Ever. <laughs> it's true. I think it's restrictive and disgusting, and I don't care how much money I had. I would I would try to never, ever be forced to yes. go home that has a Homeowners Association. Yeah, I think about that. It flies watch. in the face of, of owning property and the, the point of buying a house and buying property. Um, I get it. If I'm not surprised that some people were upset about the skeleton strippers, but like you know, just like anybody who's upset with something like this, the more oxygen you give it, the bigger of a problem you're making it. So I think it's hilarious. Anytime you can stick it to the HOA, you're okay in my book. Well, here's the nice uh, happy ending on this story. Uh, the HOA did hand down uh, a ruling on her that she needs to take down the display. Jokes on you. It's November first. But she has to do it within 30 days. Yeah. So cool. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Good work here. Wow, uh, I like great it. job, HOA. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, my question for you, I was thinking about this uh, when I read this story. You know, in the post-COVID time, whenever that comes, whenever we have sure. normal holidays again, right? Which holidays, is Halloween going to be the biggest bounce back holiday? Like when people are allowed to just be like giving out candy again, is everyone going to, are we going to see a resurgence in Halloween, like decorations and costumes in the post-COVID era? No. You don't think so? I mean, sure, but do I think it will contend with what remains to be seen for Christmas and Thanksgiving? We won't know. We haven't really seen any holidays yet in the COVID time. We had 4th of July, kind of, right. but like a lot of people just sort of fucked off and did whatever they wanted anyway. Um, if there's more restrictions or something like that goes into place, if there's more cases and people lose Thanksgiving and Christmas, you will never see anything bounce back like a Christmas bounce back if this year's oh, yeah. weird. Halloween will be cool. I mean, people like Halloween, but no, absolutely not. Christmas. It's always Christmas. Well, I feel like there's a little more ground to make up for Halloween. Like, Chris, Christmas is always good, but I feel like people might start getting excited for the Fringer holidays a little more now because mm, of it, right? It's like, like big Arbor Day parties. Yeah. Everybody's yeah, like trees. Decorate, I love that. I like that, for sure. Uh, one last Halloween-ish theme story. Uh, this is from earlier uh, this month. The annual Great Pumpkin Way Off happened this week in, mm. in uh, last week in Anoka, Minnesota. Uh, the winning pumpkin... Uh, weighed 2,350 pounds. Damn. I mean, this is one of those, like... Squash. It's a squash. Uh, this is a real nitpicky thing. Here's a picture I'm showing to Kevin of the pumpkin that you folks can't see. Mm-hmm. Every time they do one of these pumpkin you competitions... You guys could imagine what it looks like. Yeah. 
every time you see one of these like pumpkin competitions, you imagine it's like some big cartoony pumpkin. But a big giant pumpkin looks like garbage. Well, I remember when I was a kid being disappointed by this very same thing. And it's funny you said that because I was <laughs> going to bring it up if you didn't. I remember being really bummed, like looking up, oh, wow, this record, like the biggest pumpkin. Just like a big floppy, deflated, miscolored. Like, I'm like, oh, no, I want it to look, you know, pristine and round and strong, but just be colossal. But alas, it's not the way of nature. Travis Ginger of uh, Anoka, Minnesota was the winner. Uh, I guess, I'm sorry, this competition was in California. He's from Anoka, Minnesota. My apologies to the people who host the annual pumpkin way off. Uh, Ganger won $16,450 for his pumpkin. That's amazing. It's $7 per pound. $16,000 for going a pumpkin. Yeah, $7 a Just pound. A pumpkin patch. Yo. Maybe that's the move. Uh, it was the second heaviest pumpkin ever weighed at the 40-year-old California event. But it's still far from the U.S. record. That was set in 2018 when a grower in New Hampshire produced a pumpkin weighing more than 2,500 pounds. Wow. It's like a ton. More than a ton. Yeah, it's more than a ton. What happens to this giant pumpkin? Chop it up. (laughs) For what? You can't can't keep it. Pumpkins get... You You probably want those seeds... You know what I mean? You want, you the, want seeds, the seeds right? from the biggest pumpkin so that hopefully they carry the like big pumpkin genes, right? <laughs> and then you just puree the rest of it. You make like a the world's largest pumpkin pie. I don't know. Uh, and for folks who want to getting a jump on next year's Halloween festivities, a little advice from Dating.com. This is from MLive.com. Uh, a survey conducted by Dating.com, part of the dating group and the company behind numerous online dating sites, revealed that costume categories that are the most or least effective in winning over a Halloween mate. Like, which types of costumes? <laughs> a Halloween mate. A Halloween mate. Right? The monster deserves a mate. The monster deserves a bride. Uh, according to the survey, if you want to attract someone on this mostly virtual Halloween, you will need a sense of humor. Nearly 70% of surveys responded that funny costumes are the most attractive costume category. Mm. Cute costumes, whatever that means, ranked second highest at 18%, followed by scary costumes at 13 mm. uh, Furthermore, two in 10 online dating polls have a costume picture displayed in their dating profile. I'm going to tell you right now, I do not. No costume do, for No you. costume, no. You didn't, throw, you didn't show them your dinosaur onesie pajamas? No dinosaur you onesie. You your strong throw on no the profiles? Leo, no Leo Messi. Um, we should make that the segment every week, just your traffic and changing out <laughs> photos and talk about the messages you get. That'll be a segment. Yeah, so if you want to get more uh, more dates, funny costumes, not sexy ones. <laughs> Dress up in a funny costume and go out to meet people. <laughs> <laughs> you meet a lot of really oh. nice people. All right, let's get into our, uh, our closing segments here before we get to our interview. Uh, and we'll start with a special thanks I hate it. And this week's thanks I hate it comes from Entertainment Tonight. Canada. Uh, earlier this week, Drake held a birthday party for his 34th birthday. Uh. Celebrity uh, singer, mogul, uh, Toronto Raptors fan, Drake. Yeah, Drake. Uh, and he caused a bit of a stir when he put out his birthday menu, which included macaroni and cheese with raisins in it. Macaroni and cheese with sun-dried tomatoes, capers, parsley, and raisins. Mm. Kevin, what are your thoughts about Drake's macaroni and cheese and raisins? I understand what happened here. And although Drake will get <laughs> a lot of uh, much-deserved flack for it, and there's a lot of really obvious jokes uh, to point to with all of it and everything, but 
this is a guy who's like throwing a party and just hired a catering company and nominally looked over a menu and was like, yeah, mac and cheese, that's fine. Didn't read the fine print and see that they were trying to get too fancy. I've seen catering companies and you'll see places and restaurants people try to get a little too cute with it and throw something like that in. So I don't think he's, if he comes out and enthusiastically supports the raisins, then it's a different set of questions. But, but these things happen. But just take your jokes, take your, take your L's and move on. My favorite response comes from... Judge Dread on Twitter, which just says, is this your king? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I bet you some someone with a better palate than me will sit here and try and tell you that there's some sort of fancy golden raisin. Yeah. Uh, yeah yourself, I, I don't need them in my mac and cheese or like yeah. my party. Uh, a sad farewell this week to legendary James Bond and The Rock actor mm. Sean Connery, who passed away at the age of 90. Kevin, I saw you talking on Twitter about the people talking about their favorite Sean Connery role. You seem pretty adamant that the answer is simply The Rock. Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> so no, not even close. So no Indiana Jones, Last Crusade, no, that doesn't do it for you? It's the, the third movie in a trilogy where you play the B-guy. It was an amazing performance, but it's not The Rock. Come on, he was in Entrapment. You ever seen Entrapment? So there you go. <laughs> Catherine Zeta-Jones dips beneath the lasers? I know what it is. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, James Bond is really the only other viable argument, I would you say. You know where I me. stand on that. I get it from, like, a, if you want to make the argument that, like, you know, culturally that's that's his biggest role and that's his apex mount and all that, that's fine and I get it, but just not for me. Also, I'd like to point out that technically in The Rock, he does kind of play James Bond. I was, I'm glad you brought so that up. So John Mason is James Bond up. in Bondage and he goes and he's just another 007. That's why they know who he is. They say he's a British spy, the whole thing. So technically... Thanks, but no thanks. I, I think it's great. It's I, The Rock. I think The Rock is probably... I would rather watch The Rock than any James Bond movie, I would say. Like, yeah, at any easily. given time. Oh, yeah, easily. But I would have to be... I'd be lying if I didn't say that I first associated the role of James Bond with Sean Connery mm -hmm. because me and my grandfather watched Goldfinger special, as a kid. Special right? shout-out to Hunt for Red October. Yes, Hunt for Red shout October. shout-out to The Untouchables. Uh, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. The bad movie. Don't Terrible. Watch. Not a shout out. Don't watch that one. Not a shout out. Uh, yeah, I feel like Connery. Connery's famously known for roles he didn't take. I'm not going to mm. get in that list. We've done it before, yeah. but Connery could have probably been even bigger. When I was a little kid, my mom loved Sean Connery. He was her favorite actor, and he, you know, my grandfather was an Irish guy with a similar kind of, you know, accent from a similar sort of time and stuff like that. So it's somebody that, ever since I was a little kid, I remember he stood out to me and was pointed out to me. So my earliest thoughts and notions of him are with the the gray hair and sort of like the rock age than the early james bond stuff well i mean 90 years old you pass away in your sleep on your home in the caribbean islands after the life that the dudes oh, had dude what a great say you know hide the trails who better sean connery well you well know. i don't know all his like <laughs> yeah he's a man from a different time he was a man from a different true. time but you know certainly did things on his own terms i guess uh, I was gonna do some Connery voice, but I guess I'll just hold off then. I'm gonna do some some James Bond. That's a crazy thing about Sean Connery is that a lot of his cultural impact comes off of the Celebrity Jeopardy, SNL, wow, yeah. Daryl Hammond, like you know, suck it Trebek kind of Sean Connery stuff. No, but I'm talking like there's a go look up. It's one of my favorite scenes, and I'll shout out for the first of two times today. My my very close friend Dan Avasado. Mm. The first thing he sent me was a picture of Sean Connery from Goldfinger that just said strict rules of golf. And that's like a 2% joke. Uh, go watch Goldfinger for the scene where he golfs against Goldfinger. It's worth it. Uh, all right, and let's do one last segment before we get into this week's energy, uh, interview. And it's my favorite segment we've done recently. I've been calling it Big Energy. 
Uh, and this week's big energy goes out to Bond billionaire Bill Gross. That's right. Uh, Bill Gross is involved in a legal battle with his tech entrepreneur, entrepreneur neighbor over a $1 million sculpture and allegations that Gross blasted the Gilligan's Island theme song on loop for hours outside of his house. <laughs> Gross, the co-founder of an investment firm and his partner, installed a large lighted glass art installation on their Laguna Beach property along the property line shared with their neighbors. Uh, and his wife uh, then installed larger poles and protective nets above the installation and it pissed the neighbors off. Uh, so apparently the they just played the Gilligan's Island theme song as an annoyance like they did in that episode of The Sopranos. Mm -hmm. Not a nice thing to do. I don't... I say, big Tony Soprano vibes. Big troll energy. <laughs> uh, the lawsuit says that uh, this man has harassed and invaded the privacy of this family by playing the Gilligan's Island theme song mm. over and over again. What song would drive you to madness if your neighbor forced you to like listen to it for like an hour mm. over and over again? Like what... What would get you? This is, oh. this is a pretty good choice. Something short and dumb and repetitive that will play a million times. Right? You ever hear that song, Walking in Memphis? That one? Yeah. Oh, that that's a rough tough. one. Man, I, I used to work at a place that had uh, piped in music over the top. I worked at a restaurant that had the music just came from, from elsewhere. And that song would come up on the soundtrack all the time. And boy, oh boy, I hate that song. Uh, I'm just off the top of my head. Oh, Jeff Buckley's Hallelujah. Um, mm. Like, just forever. Like, for, like, three hours, I'd probably want to smash my head through. Any sort of Nine Inch Nails song. Like, <laughs> I like Nine Inch Nails, but I feel like... Because well, three... you could find some real obscure track where it's just, like, machine noises. <laughs> yeah, it's what I'm saying, right? Yeah, yeah. Because uh, if, I mean, if you get out there deep, you could find some weird radio... Like, if somebody played Hunting Bears, that Radiohead track, outside <laughs> your house, for hours, you'd go insane. Yeah, I guess... It's like that movie, The Lighthouse, is what it would be. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good movie. Uh, all right. Uh, I've come around to that movie more after we've watched it. I've been still thinking about it a week. That's later. a good movie. Uh, all right. Let's get to this week's interview, which I have not yet taped mm -hmm. yet, but I'm sure will be one of the greatest interviews we've ever done. Again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm really excited. Honestly, more than anything else, I'm really excited to talk to my good friend, Anthony O'Connell, who we honestly haven't seen each other in a really long time, but yeah. for years we spent so many lunch shifts and drinks and comedy club sessions and podcast ideas and late night discussions and cigarettes when I was still smoking regularly on the streets. Mm -hmm. uh, good friend of mine. And I'm really ha I'm really curious to see what's up with him now that he's doing this Upper Fee stuff and he's yeah, yeah, back yeah. in Ohio and uh, we'll see how life's going Make for sure him. Out there in Ohio. I'm, sure he, I'm sure he is. We'll, we'll check <laughs> we'll out. We'll make sure. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment with Anthony O'Connell. Hey, I can hear you now, man. What's up, man? It's so good to see you. Yeah, dude. How you doing? I mean, I mean, how are we doing? How's life? <laughs> well, I'm just going to focus on the positive, like great cardigan. Love the cardigan. I got to tell you, I put this cardigan on specifically because I figured I have to play up to the, the image that I've given over the years. <laughs> Very on brand. Um. 
Anthony, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here on the pod. Um, I've told this story a million times on the show, and I don't know if we've ever talked about it. It was, I want to say, at Carmine's around the table in the morning when I was talking to you and our good friend Morgan about how I was leaving New York. This was about five, six, almost six years ago now. And you asked me what I was going to do with podcasting stuff. And I said, I don't know. And you casually came up with the name Uticast. Nice. <laughs> Glad do you remember I could this at all? I, I, to be honest with you, I vaguely remember it. Um, I'm honored that I, I could help you out. Um, I'm just a silly, punny idiot. So glad I could help. <laughs> uh, and of course, you know, I, I do want to talk a little bit about our time together in New York and the work you've been doing with Upper Feast. Um, but I guess I want to start here just so I can get some context because it, it really has for folks who don't know, it's been a really long time since we've had a chance to chat with each other. Right. Um, I have been gone from New York for a little more than five years now. Um, but I don't know if we've ever discussed, how long have you been back in Ohio now? So I've been in Ohio for a little over a year. I moved back here the end of August of 2019. And my initial plan was to save up money and move to Los Angeles. And then the world fell apart. And then I'm just like, you know what? I'm thankful to be with my family in Columbus and I'm trying my best here in the Midwest. So I guess my question for you is, and I don't want to get too, too serious, you know, too quickly, but um, you know, you've been, you've been doing really well with Upper Feast. I know your plan was to go to Los Angeles. Um, with everything happening with COVID, is the plan eventually, if we get back to some semblance of what's normal, to still go out west? Or are you thinking you may stay Midwest now? No, I mean, honestly, I'm pretty content with living in Columbus. And I feel like most of my content is over the internet. And I can do internet content anywhere. So might as well stay here where it's cheaper. <laughs> um, dude, let me tell you, it's something in the five and a half years since I've been gone, you know, I'm sure that you, you know, you're like me and you miss certain aspects of what we, you know, the life we used to have down there and going out and having fun. But as I get to my, like, I went out till like midnight on Halloween and I'm still recovering two days later. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah. Dude, like I, I miss my old life in New York. I miss my friends, especially but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm very thankful to be here with my family and I'm having a lot of fun, believe it or not. People are always thrown off when they ask me that. They're like, do you miss like New York and Brooklyn? And generally my answer is no. Like, yeah. I, I think that I, I think I, I got to the end. I think we got to a point where it's like, I need to, I need to move on. Right. Um, now I want to get into a lot of stuff from New York, but generally when we do this show, we tend to go all the way back. So folks can get an idea of who you are and, uh, and where you started from. So uh, generally people say Uticus, this would be a nice change. Anthony, where were you born and where were you raised or where do you consider your hometown? So uh, I was born in Columbus, Ohio, and I have a high voice. I am a man. I was born a man. <laughs> Just <to hear> <laughs> <know>. <laughs> um, I'm a dude with a high voice. So I graduated from Ohio State and started doing stand-up comedy and I earned some comedy chops. One of the funniest person in Columbus, I started doing crowd warm-up for a game show. And I was like, you know what? Let's try New York out. The big, you know, the big apple, big city of dreams and all that. And uh, I failed miserably, but I tried my best. <laughs> now, I want to go back to the Ohio State thing for a second. So you were doing Ohio State. Do you, what was your major? Like, what were you majoring in at the time? So it's kind of funny. I'm... I'm I started off with pharmacy. I was going to try to be a pharmacist. 
and I was getting big grades and everything, but then I fell in love with stand-up comedy. And so I just got a generic degree. Um, it's, I think it's like humanities with a major minor in finance or something. Um, so it's just kind of like a BS degree, just so I didn't waste all that student loan debt for nothing. Well, you know, it's funny, stand-up is such an interesting thing. You know, I, I used to love, especially, you know, later on in our friendship, I used to follow you around to watch you do like drop-ins and open mic nights. We would go to comedy clubs. And at that time, I think I was lying to people and saying I was writing a novel. So I used to love just the environment of like going out to stand up and being involved in that. When has your like relationship personally with stand up changed at all? Like have you sort of, have you been doing stand up or are you sort of moving on from that? No, so I actually, and that's one of the big reasons I moved away from New York is because uh, I quit doing stand up once I started my upper feast because I used to always joke that I thought I loved comedy. Turns out I just love attention. <laughs> but it's I I just fell in love with my food blog and I started making progress and making a little bit of waves and I decided to just dive all in rather than half stand up half food blog. I just went all in food blog. Do you ever get the calling that you miss stand up ever, or you you feel like you you've done what you wanted to do and you can move on now? Well, thankfully for me, I, I'm pretty much over it. Uh, be, I say thankfully because no stand-up's really happening right now. It's super challenging for yeah. any performer. Um, I will say I've tried to do funny sketches. I've put some comedy sketches on Upper Feast and my followers were like, hard pass. Give us the food, baby. <laughs> 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 so. Oh, man. That's <laughs> tough. I it's funny too because I always thought you know you you joked around earlier about having um, a high voice. I wish I had the video. I went to a show with you one time and I taped you on my phone and I think it's on an old phone. I have to go back. And I gotta say, I always thought you were a killer stand up. Uh, and I think that you made a joke about your voice, but your high voice, like I think, fooled people. I don't think people were ready for what kind of comedian you were going to be. <laughs> No, absolutely. Well, thank you for that compliment. And the thing is, as I used to talk about edgy stuff, and I think with my innocent baby face and my high voice, it was a nice juxtaposition, and, and that helped with the comedy there. So I want to ask, uh, you know, you started, it was October of 2017, if I go back to when you started Upper Feast, and this is on Instagram. And did you know, now, at right now, and I'm not here to, you know, to, to yank your chain, but it's wildly impressive you're up at 109,000 followers on Instagram yeah. that is insane to me I'm so proud and so happy for you thank you so much that's, that's 25,000 people a year over four years how did this I, I just got to ask like from you know we, you've been doing lots of stuff since we've known each other you were doing podcasts you were doing stand-up for this to get to like 109,000 followers on Instagram and growing how did that feel? Did you know it was happening? Did it happen at once? How did that sort of evolution come? So it, it kind of snowballed. My first year, um, I had to post literally every day and I did everything to optimize that. And I can go into that more if you want, but basically it took me one year to get 10,000 followers. And then after that, it snowballed. So second year I got up to 50K and then year three that just happened, uh, got me up to 100K and I'm at 109. So it's just kind of a nice snowball effect. So you're saying that big jump came between that year two and that year three. Correct. And do you know, can you sort of, could you pinpoint 
like a moment when you thought it was happening? Was there something that happened or some moment that you felt like, okay, we've, we're onto something here. We're rolling. Yeah. I mean, I would say honestly, that first year when I started getting free food, even though I wasn't a big account, I was like, holy smokes, I'm getting free food just from posting, you know, pictures. Um, but I think one of the big things that helped me was I got featured on Buzzfeed a couple of times and I got featured on like Mashable and stuff like that, like really helped. And then I also partnered up with another food account called Devour Power. And they actually taught me a lot about, you know, what people love because they're wildly popular. They have over a million followers. And so they taught me a lot about like, you know, what people like and like to engage with. You know, and I think that's really important important to take account of you know I've been doing this pod for five years and we've settled into a really nice like thing here in Utica but I'm I'm not naive when I say that one of the things I've constantly struggled with was maintaining engagement I am not naturally inclined to be on Twitter and be on Instagram and be on Facebook you over the years you've proven to be very good at those formats what's something you do you think that comes from the stand-up or have you just adapted to this sort of digital format? Why do you think that's worked so well for you? Well, I think it's because I just care so much. I know that sounds corny, but like no, I pay true. attention to everything. So like when I first started my account, I would post literally all foods that I liked, but then I noticed certain foods that would do well. And I literally paid attention to the, the reach and the engagement and the likes and all that. And I kind of leaned into what people like, but staying true to myself, because if I don't like something, I don't post it. Now I've noticed when I went on into the day to look at some of your, uh, your more recent stuff, I noticed you've been doing obviously a lot of like at home makes, and this has obviously been new for, for COVID times. How has that been sort of a transition? Do you feel like you've been a better cook because of it? I think so, man. But you know, what's really funny is people are so harsh. They don't realize I'm a one man. Oh my God. I set up the camera. I'm cooking. I'm trying to be engaging. Like I'm trying to do everything. And people are like, oh, you cut that weird. That was a dumb way to cut it. Or, oh, you cooked that wrong. Or that cast iron skillet looks bad or like whatever. But besides the hater comments, um, yeah, I guess to answer your question, yes, I've improved. I think I have improved. Yeah. <laughs> That's something that I noticed too, because I'll go on Reddit and I go like to like GIF recipes just because I'm always curious to find something. And I think I want to say like 97% of the comments are people being like, here's how you did this wrong. And here's how I'm going to tell you how my version is better. Do you... How do you even, do you even handle that? Like, do you just let it go at this point in time? Or do you even engage with people who are like, this is whack? So it depends. Now, if someone just has like a genuine concern, I might respond to the comment. But if they're just being haters for the sake of it, I'll just delete it. Like, for example, I made a carbonara and I pissed off all of Italy, I think. I literally had like 30 <laughs> comments. From, 30 comments uh, in Italian. I had to Google translate it. Oh, you American pig, you ruined pasta, my mother's spinning in her grave, yada, yada. So I just deleted all those. If you're going to be that much of a hater, because I want my comment section to be like a good vibe, chill space. Uh, so I delete the haters. You know, it's tough. And I, I think what you've done a nice job too is the food, everyone likes food, right? Like the big thing I've struggled with over the years is, you know, we're a local podcast who deals with like local issues, right? And now at this point in time, if I do like local news, Everyone's like, oh, here comes the lib guy. He's going to have his slant. <laughs> and it's like, because I, but I feel like if I have to talk about the news, news is political, whereas food is, is everyone loves food, right? Exactly. Well, or they like giving you a hard time if you think your food's not as good as their food. Right. And, you know, I like to think of myself as like a, a little brief respite from all the craziness. Like I never post politics on my page. I never do anything, literally nothing political ever. Uh, I just want people to have a little bit of escapism. 
Well, I think it's really funny you say that too, because um, which like we were, you know, we lived in New York together. I want to say we were working there four or five years together, hanging out every day with all sorts of different people. Did we ever at any point in time ever have a conversation about politics with anyone at the restaurant ever? No, not at all. <laughs> not, even, not even like casually, not even oh. like, uh, it's, it does feel like the world so you were in New York a little bit later then. Do you feel like New York changed at all when you were down there? Did it feel like things got different toward the end? Um, I mean, not that I could tell. I think, at least in my little bubble, everything was fine. Um, and I'm kind of aloof anyway, but to me, it didn't. Right. Yeah, I, I keep reading all these articles about like, oh, dude, New York is falling apart. And I'm like, I think people have been saying New York is falling apart since like 19... 37 right exactly um i mean i have heard there's a lot more crime there but i mean you know maybe rent will go down i i just did a we were doing a our whole podcast today because it's the day before election day is we really tried to avoid i'm doing no politics today on the show like i'm, I'm just i'm just over it uh but i did read a story about a new york city guy who fell through the sidewalk into a 10 foot pit of rats and I was like that's the most New York City subway story I've ever heard <laughs> a big pile of rats Jesus. Big... well it's funny too because I was like I, I read the story I was like yeah I've seen rats what's the big deal that's like my I still have a little bit of residual like hanging out in New York like angst to me I don't like I don't care about rats or dirt anymore I'm just like yeah whatever it's it's all fine <laughs> um so I gotta ask you things have been going really well. You're four years into this. I'm sure that, you know, you're just playing it as it comes to you, but do you have like a vision for how you'd like to see this go for the next four or five years? Do you, have you thought about it that far in advance? I, I have actually. And so when I lived in New York still, I was starting to do social media management for some restaurants. Like I would run their Instagrams and create content for them. And I very naively assumed when I moved back to Columbus, since it's a smaller market, that it would just instantly take off, but it hasn't been the yeah. case. And to be honest with you, I'm not the best salesman. In New York, I was very lucky because New Yorkers reached out to me. So when I first moved here, I tried to like reach out to businesses, but now I'm focused on, I'm gonna start a podcast called Upper Feast with Anthony O'Connell. And it's awesome. gonna be a food podcast. And it hasn't, it hasn't came out yet, but I did release, I recorded a couple episodes. Um, so I'm gonna just try to do a podcast and just kind of see where it goes from there. Well, good luck with that. I've been, you're on episode 280 now. And I, one of the big things I've learned is the hardest part is scheduling a weekly interview. So prep yourself to get some interviews ready. Although I got to be honest, the Zoom thing, I was really, really like resistant to Zoom stuff because I'm a hundred years old in my brain. And I'm like, my conversations are better when I'm in a room sitting down with somebody. And and it certainly is, but I'm also not naive. I'm I'm still like a, a terrified guy. I'm not going out in the world. I'm not ready to like pretend COVID doesn't exist like a lot of people I know around here. <laughs> right, absolutely. I, I think there is something to be said about being in a room with a person. I think there is a certain energy and it is probably objectively better, but I think Zoom is fine. I think it gets the job across, I think. Well, you, and it, it's funny too. I just gotta, I think it's probably worth mentioning, you know, one of the things, podcasting was something we had talked about because you had started doing podcasting with the stand-up stuff even when we were in New York doing the Always Been Silly stuff. And I, you st are you still in contact with Brandon? Is he still around? Oh yeah, he's one of my really great friends. He's living out in Los Angeles. Um, he's working for a production company with that's involved with like Will Smith and stuff. He's crushing it. 
Um, he was actually my first guest on my podcast. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, he's doing really well. That's really good. Um, so listen, uh, I know that we are, as, as I mentioned, no politics episode, but I just, I'm just so curious to ask. You've been living in Brooklyn or New York for many years. Now you're back in Ohio, swing state style. Has it been no weird adjustment or did you, you have family there, you have friends, you probably just fell right back into everything? Yeah, for as far as my family and friends go, yes, it was very nice. But, you know, going to the grocery store, going to Kroger, whatever, you see a bunch of anti-maskers, you see like the, the MAGA hats and that stuff. So that's a little annoying, but I just try to mind my own business. I don't want to cause any trouble. No, I'm with you. And that's been, and it's been like a weird line I've had to draw. It's like, do I talk about stuff that I think is important on the show? Because that's what the show is about. Or at the risk of alienating people who are going to be like, oh, he's like a hater. But I don't know. I, I've, I've sort of struggled to find that line sometimes. And I think that's actually where you've done an amazing job just focusing on good content and the food. And that's really what it seems like to me has helped you be successful, although you would know because I have not had anything with 100,000 followers recently. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, man. Yeah, dude, it, it's pretty crazy. I would say the main difference between having a small account and a big account is just um, just more mean comments, I think is the main yeah. difference. Mike, <laughs> uh, I guess uh, I'll give you one more food question. And then uh, if you don't mind, I have some lightning round questions that we do with everyone who's been on the show. Um, so, what was, do you remember the last place you actually physically went out to before everything happened? Like what's the last restaurant you've been to before COVID happened? Um, wow, I, I don't know. I mean, dude, I eat out so much. Like even when COVID was hitting hard, I was still going and like picking up carry out and stuff. So like, <laughs> I will say this, one thing I hate, I don't know how it is in Utica, in Columbus, we have all these little plastic dividers up in between booths as if that's protecting anyone. It's all just theatric. Yeah. But it kills the vibe for me. Like I hate, like I struggle with it because I want the server to eat, meaning I want to be able to tip a server. But I also don't want to be there. It's like weird, like they're wearing a mask and everything's all like weird and it's like partial seating. And it's just like, I struggle with it. Because everything is nuanced. Like I'm both concern I can be both concerned that people aren't taking COVID seriously enough and aren't wearing masks and also wish that I could go out and experience like people in public those two things are not like mutually exclusive you can feel both ways and it doesn't feel like we're like we all want we all want to go out and do these things it's just I don't know I I don't know there's a lot of nuance to that feel like is getting lost in the in the mainstream conversations about it well, the, the way I justify going out to eat now is the server is working to make money. They're trying to earn yeah. a living. So they're going to be there regardless. Now, am I an overtipper? Yes, absolutely. So, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's the curse of any like former waiter or waitress is I tip like 30%, even if it's the worst waiter who's ever existed. Of course. I'm like, I get it. Being a server sucks. It makes sense. You're upset. Like, why would you do a verbal quality check? Your job sucks. I get it. Here's your money. Take my wallet. <laughs> um i i will say i was i i did in the prep for this show i did have a really nostalgic romantic time i was like i really wish that i was at least one more time out at some crummy bar in times square after a lunch shift with with you and morgan and the boys watching fantasy football and yelling i was smoking (laughs) a lot more cigarettes back then so i'm glad that's over with (laughs) but everything else i still miss a little bit for sure i can't help it 
oh yeah go ahead i it's no, just, I'm sorry, I just can't help it i know dude it it's objectively a good time like you work your ass off for a couple hours and then you go out with your buddies and have some cheap jameson and a mediocre bar and it's just like so fun <laughs> <laughs> uh Anthony, uh, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to chat with us. Uh, I have some quick lightning round questions. Uh, these are the same five or six questions uh, we asked everybody who's been on the show going all the way back to episode one. Uh, and lightning round is just a phrase. You can take it as long as you want to answer these questions. Um, and I'll start with this. Uh, Anthony O'Connell of Upper Feast, when you wake up in the morning, how do you take your coffee? Um, I just do it straight up black, black like my heart. <laughs> Okay, this is a question, my follow-up question for that, because this is about 50% of people who come on the show say black coffee. I struggle to go to all black coffee. Did you always drink black coffee or did you have to work your way through it like a real adult? No, so I did work my way through it. I used to do milk and sugar and then I yeah. weaned myself off sugar and did only milk for the longest and now I just do yeah. straight up black. I feel like I don't buy nice enough coffee. That's my issue. If I bought nicer coffee, I'd be more willing to drink it black. But I just buy the largest, cheapest bag of coffee available, so I have to hide it with garbage and sugar. <laughs> what about a French press? I think a French press might church it up a bit. That's what I use. I use a Yo. French press. Yo, French press, I love. I have a percolator in the kitchen right now, which I love using, but it's kind of pointless if you're not making like a giant pot of coffee, so... Right. Uh, moving on to our next one, Anthony, what was your first automobile? My first automobile was a purple Chevy Cavalier. Um, the previous owner did all kinds of wacky stuff, like trying to make it like low key, fast and furious. So it had all these weird, like yellow highlights on it. So it was like a purple and yellow thing, had black lights in the interior. Very weird, very strange car, but it got me around. Well, you may or may not have taken your Chevy Cavalier to see it. What was your first live music event? Oh, man. I think, gosh, I don't remember. I think it was maybe um, Blink-182 and Fall Out Boy was I opening. I love it. <laughs> I always appreciated, you know, we talked about, about you've always, you know, with your comedy you used to play against character. I always loved that you love hip hop and that is something that throws people off. when they. Oh, <laughs> Well, the reason I was torn is because I couldn't remember if Blink was first or I saw Eminem when he wasn't that popular. I saw Eminem way uh, back in the day. So, you, okay, so let me ask you this question because you love, does Eminem still hold up for you now in hindsight? His old stuff, yes. His newer stuff, I could not care less about, but I still it's listen tough. to Marshall Mathis occasionally or Slim Shady occasionally, uh, but his newer stuff, no thank you. Uh, this is a tough question, so I'll give you a second. Uh, if you could have dinner with any person, living or dead, who is not your relative, who would it be and why? Oh man. Um, so my first instinct was to say someone who I would no longer say, but cause I used to, whenever people would ask me this question, I used to say Kanye West, but now I feel like mm -hmm. he's so yeah. far off the deep end. I don't even think it'd be worth it. So I'm going to say yeah. Anthony Bourdain. Uh, it's a tough one, man. I, I, that's one of the toughest, like, celebrity dads if you want to use that as quotes that I, I was I loved Bourdain I thought he was the coolest dude in the world he was so cool and it was so heartbreaking like celebrity deaths are always sad but like that was the first one that like hit me hard and I think mm -hmm. he's just so like deep and profound but also can be just be like a dumb idiot chugging shots like he was just like the coolest dude <laughs> uh if you found yourself 
on an episode of Jeopardy, what category do you think would be your dream category? <laughs> um, <clears throat> I don't know, man. I guess um, probably something food related or maybe like stand-up comedy related. I think I could crush it at. So stand-up is it? Is, I feel like I'd do really good with fast food. If there's like a fast food category. I would be killing it. I know a lot about, especially like old fast food items that no longer exist. Do <laughs> a question. What's your favorite fast food? I am a hardcore Taco Bell guy still. I know that that's very basic in today's age, but uh, I don't know. I think that's the nostalgic fast food that we would leave high school during lunch to go get and then be late coming back from lunch. Uh, and that that's the one that I think sticks the most with me. Uh, McDonald's at the bottom. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, all right. I'm going to give you a scenario. I have three questions left for you. The last, second, uh, third to last is a scenario. You are the World Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion. You are walking out to the ring. The crowd is chanting your name. What theme song is playing in the background as you make your way to the squared circle? Oh man, this is so exciting. And I already know my answer because I think about this all the time. Stone Cold Steve Austin, baby. That music gets me so <laughs> hyped. I want a Stone Cold Stone you right now just thinking about it. Like, I love that theme song so much. When that glass breaks, it just hits your soul, man. <laughs> uh, Anthony, give me one book, album, movie, or television show you are currently reading, listening to, or watching. Okay, so this is kind of embarrassing, but I'm rewatching Shameless on Netflix and it's kind of like my guilty pleasure. Uh, I love it. <laughs> That's a show that I watched the first three seasons of when you could still stream shows illegally on the internet, which I never do anymore, obviously. Uh, and I really liked the first three seasons and I just kind of missed it. And then once it came back to Netflix, I feel like it had this huge like revitalization. Like suddenly people were like, yo, Shameless, I can't believe it. Yeah, I think the first four seasons are really all you need, but I'm currently on season five anyway, and it, it, the quality's falling off, but I'm still watching it. Uh, before we get to our last question, Anthony, can you shout out where people can uh, get in touch with you or see your content if they want to reach out and see more of you? Yeah, of course. So um, Instagram and Twitter, at Upper Feast, U-P-P-E-R, Feast, F-E-A-S-T, Upper Feast. Awesome. And uh, Anthony, one last question. Besides food, besides stand-up comedy, besides just being a good lad, professional wrestling, stunning people, give me one more thing that you are passionate about. Um, <laughs> wow, I feel like I'm so like two-dimensional. Um, I guess I'm passionate about my family and friends. Does, is that a fair answer? That's a great answer. It's a wonderful answer. Because I really I mean, value I'm not doing like, relationships. Oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm saying I'm not giving points, so I'm not going to score your answers either way. I'm not holding it against you, whatever you say. I thought maybe you were a professor. I didn't really know what to do. No. Um, I am an out-of-work master's, uh, an out-of-work master's graduate. That's what I'm up to these days. <laughs> <laughs> Crushing it, dude. Um, well, look, I'm so glad you invited me to do this. I'm, we should uh, chat sometime just for fun. Like, this has been really great. I know, man. It's funny. I, especially recently, like, I think because I've been home like a lot more lately I've been a little like more nostalgic about like New York in the past and especially like just busting balls with you and Morgan and 
Paul Dixon's and the John Lentini's of the world. Like I just miss the weird characters and interactions and great weird things that we'll like, I, I think it's, I, I don't think it's, I'm underselling it when I, what was the name of that club we used to go to uh, Long Island city used to take me. It was a comedy club. Uh, the Creek in the cave. That place still exists in my mind. Like I can still see the arcade machines and the pinball machines in the basement. And I can still see all the stand-up comics who were gun shy of me until you told them I was not a comedian, I was a writer, and then they were super nice to me. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> like, you, yeah, you nailed it, man. There were so many characters at Carmine's. It, I'm so thankful for that time in my life. Like, of course you hate it because you hate any job, but like legit so many characters, just amazing, funny, hilarious, interesting people, man, like truly. So uh, listen, I'm so happy we were able to do this. Uh, I'm bad at tech. So when I end this call, it is going to end the recording. Uh, but I'll hit you up with a message after this, and I'll uh, I'll let you know how everything comes out. But I want to thank you so much. Again, follow Anthony on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Upper Feast. He is the man. We're so excited to have him. Thank you so much, buddy. Thank you so much, Sam. Have a great rest of the day. You too, brother. I'll see you later. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that even though, again, we've taped this before, uh, we filmed the interview. I'm sure I had a great time talking to my very good friend Anthony about all mm-hmm. the things we love to talk about. So, uh, it was nice. It was always funny going to New York and uh, and like meeting folks from, because you go to New York and you meet people and they're rarely from New York. Right. Do you know what I mean? No one's ever from New York mm-hmm. when they live in New York. So. I thought it was funny that the two guys I became, like, close friends with, they were both from, like, Columbus, Ohio, weirdly. Right. And I was like, weird. And then yeah, one guy from... You're an Ohio guy. You do well in Ohio. I found one Syracuse guy. See? One Syracuse guy. And then we talked about... Shout out to uh, Paul Dixon, wherever you're at these mm. days. I know he's got a kid and a wife. He's doing good, wherever he's yeah, out yeah. to. Um, well, that's got to be the wild thing, too, I feel like, when you live... Because you meet people that come from all over the place. And you're from somewhere else, too, when you live down there. But you're from, you know, relatively speaking, right up the street. Whereas opposed yeah. to, like, if somebody's there from Ohio, they're, like, way far away. Whereas for you, you're like, oh, I might catch a car up to home this weekend. I don't know if... I, I'm sure I didn't tell this... Talk about this with Anthony, but I remember... Uh, you know, we had a pretty nice crew of of dudes working at the restaurant. It was a huge restaurant. All mm-hmm. young actors, comedians, writers, yeah. directors, podcasters, students, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Whatever you were doing. It was all creative types, right? Mm-hmm. Always having a lot of fun going out to bars and, you know, after after work, after hours. And I remember we all, like 10, 15 of us, went to a birthday party at a bar after a shift. Mm. And it was on, like, 46th Street in New York. It was, you know, we we're all drinking. And I walk up to the bar, and they have a two-for-five special. Mm. I said, hey, all right, New York City, that's pretty good. What are the two-for-five drinks? And they go, we got Jenny. We got Jenny Cream Ale. And I go, Stop. Digging, <laughs> you hit oil. And I go, give me one of each. So I start popping these Jennies. I'm like, oh, I'm so, I can't believe I got a Jenny in New York. 
Yeah. Now, mind you, again, these are, you know, creative types, hipsters, mm-hmm. people like me. Dare say dare, hipsters. Dare say hipsters. And once all my hipster friends look over and say, hey, what's that? What are you drinking? I'm like, oh, this is a Jenny. You ever had a Jenny? He's like, never heard of that. I'm like, oh, it's from sort of near where I live, kind of. So oh. beer, kind of. It's the beer people drink in upstate New York. Oh, so man. then, for like an hour, I got like ten randos from all over the place just pretending to like the Jenny beer, which they drank that I told them not to get. I'm like, you don't have to get this. This yeah, is just. Yeah. I was like, you know, they're like, let me get one. Is it good? I'm like, it's, yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> sure. It is what it is. I was like, it's nostalgic. I don't mind the Jenny cream ale. Ain't nothing wrong with the cream. I wish they would bring back the club cream ale. Very few things we advocated oh, for is hard at my time there. There's a lot of people <laughs> behind the scenes who really want to see it come back. I've so I would love to see it one day. The rumors have been trickling around for years. It feels like just like just oh, it's just, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's do. You can, lead, you can lead the horse to water, Sam, but you uh, cannot make it drink. Never. All right, let's get to some history lessons. We do have a lot of mailbag questions, so shout out to all the folks who sent in mailbag questions mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. from around the internet. Always. Uh, all right, so uh, on this day, 1777, George Washington learns of an effort to discredit him known as the Conway Cabal. Mm. Uh, George Washington's informed that a, confer- a conspiracy is afoot to discredit him with Congress and have him replaced by General Horatio Gates. Thomas Conway, who would have been a who would have been Inspector General of the United States less than two months later on December 14th, led the effort. Uh, Conway, who was born in Ireland but raised in France, entered the French army in 1749. He was recruited to the Patriot cause by Salias Dean, an American ambassador to France. And after meeting with Washington at Morristown in May of 1777, he was appointed Brigadier General and assigned to Major General John Sullivan's division. I'm sure that's your fam. Shout out. Shout uh, out. No, I, we weren't. John Sullivan was nowhere near America at this time. Uh, Conway served admirably under Sullivan in the Battle of Brandywine, which doesn't sound like a real thing. In September 1777, and in Germantown in October 1777 as well, before being involved in an unconfirmed conspiracy to remove George Washington from command of the Continental Army, the rumored conspiracy would go down in history as the Conway Cabal. Mm. Uh, after the army suffered several defeats in the fall, several members of Congress expressed displeasure with Washington's leadership, and Conway began writing letters to prominent leaders, including Horatio Gates, that were crit- uh, critical of Washington. After he got wind of the letter, he responded with a letter to Congress in January of 1778. Uh, Conway offered his resignation in 1778 as a way of apology to George Washington and was surprised and humiliated when Congress accepted. He was going to be like, oh, guys, I'm sorry. I'll just resign. And they're like, cool. He's like, no, wait, shit, you're supposed to stop me. That's what you get. Uh, After John Codwalder, a general, wounded him in a duel defending Washington's honor... Conway returned to France, where he died in exile. So here's the thing. You try and do a conspiracy against George Washington. You lose. You get kicked out of Congress. And then Washington's boy comes to the duel. Not even Washington. And you lose the duel. And you get sent back to France. Mm. Real tough beat. (laughs) But, hey, you know, he's being discussed here today on this podcast. And so, you know. Famed conspirator. The Conways. Um, He won in the end. Hundreds of years later, his name echoes through the Stitcher Hive. (laughs) Uh, On this day, 1947, uh, Howard Hughes, the successful film director, uh, had the first flight of his Spruce Goose. You ever watch the Howard Hughes Aviator movie? Was that... That was DiCaprio? Aviator with DiCaprio, Scorsese? Yeah. Yeah. Is he playing Hughes? Yeah. Is it good? Yup. 
It's one I've kind of missed over the years. Oh, what a treat. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's definitely, <laughs> listen, there's plenty of... It's not Martin Scorsese's best movie, but it's a good movie. Uh, Howard I think Hughes. that was him. I think that was him. I think yeah, it was Scorsese. Right. Uh, Howard Hughes was a successful movie producer when he founded Hughes Aircraft Company in 1932. He personally tested cutting-edge aircraft of his own design in 1930. Uh, in 1937, broke the transcontinental flight time record. In 1938, he flew around the world in a record three-day, 19 hours and 14 minutes. I kind of respect any weird eccentric guy in this era because if you had a plane, you're probably like, yeah, I'm flying it. It's like, yeah, I'm putting myself out there. Like, uh, yeah, sure, I'm not worried. <laughs> like, Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was, uh, you should watch that movie. Is he a, he's a madman. I would he's imagine. One of the maddest men. Yeah, he's nuts. <laughs> uh, following the U.S. entrance into World War II in 1941, the U.S. government commissioned the Hughes Aircraft Company to build a large flying boat capable of carrying men and materials over long distances. Mm -hmm. The concept of which would become the quote-unquote Spruce Goose, mm -hmm. which was originally conceived by the industrialist Henry Kaiser. But Kaiser dropped out of the project early, leaving Hughes and his small team to make it a reality. Because of wartime restrictions on steel, Hughes decided to build his aircraft out of wood laminated with plastic and covered in fabric. I'm going to repeat that. This plane is built of wood laminated with plastic and covered with fabric. It was mostly constructed of birch, although the use of spruce would later earn the aircraft its iconic Spruce Goose name. It had a wingspan of 320 feet and was powered by eight giant propeller engines it was meant to carry more than 700 men to battle. It was also made out of wood laminated with plastic and mm. covered in fabric. Mm. So, yeah. Development of the Spruce Goose cost a phenomenal $23 million and took so long that the war had ended by the time of its completion in 1946. Mm -hmm. Aircraft had many of the tractors and Congress demanded that Hughes prove the airplane airworthy. So on November 2nd, 1947, Hughes obliged, taking the H-4 prototype out onto Long Beach Harbor, California, for an unannounced flight test while thousands of onlookers had come to watch. They assumed that the water would just tack the uh, the plane would just taxi on the water and were surprised when Hughes lifted his wooden behemoth 70 feet above the water and flew for about a mile before landing, which is not really that impressive to fly for a mile, I it's feel true. like. <laughs> <laughs> it never went into production, surprise, surprise, primarily because critics argued that its wooden framework was insufficient to support people's weight because it was made of wood. Mm. So there you go. Again, what a crazy time. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we like wonder, like, oh, man, this might be the craziest time we've ever lived. And it might be. We've had a lot of contenders for crazy times in America. It, it's crazy to be it's, alive. It's always crazy. To be alive is crazy. Life is crazy. It's true. Uh, I said no politics news, but I guess this is a electoral history note. On this day, 1998, former professional wrestler Jesse the Body Ventura is elected governor in Minnesota. Uh, he won with 37% of the vote. His opponents were seasoned politicians. Herbert Humphrey III, who is the son of Lyndon Johnson's vice president and the attorney general of Minnesota, and St. Paul Mayor Norm Coleman, uh, who spent a total of $4.3 million on their combined campaigns. Ventura, the Reform Party candidate, spent $250,000, money he raised by selling $22 t-shirts and accepting $50 donations from his supporters. Does Jesse Ventura get enough credit for being like 
one of the biggest third party like upsets? Like, does people talk about Ventura, or is it more like a freak show, sort of a fluke? I think it's more like a freak show, sort of fluke. Plus, it's state it's state politics, so state politics never really permeate to the national level. Even if the story picks up national traction, at the end of the day, like it's still a state representative. That's true. Uh, during his famed pro wrestling career, Jesse was uh, oh Jesse Ventura had always been known as a bad guy wearing tie dye outfits, feathered boas, and garish sunglasses, loudly and perfect, uh, profanely heckling his opponents. Jesse was shamelessly dishonest with his famed motto, win if you can, lose if you must, but always cheat, Gorilla. <laughs> Sorry, Gorilla was the guy he was talking to. Actually, growing up, I only knew Jesse Ventura as the WCW and occasionally WWF wrestling announcer. And I, I never knew who he was, so I remember when he got elected, I was like, oh, this guy, do you know? I'm like, I don't know, I don't know who this person is. Then I learned about him afterwards and he was elected to governor. You know, Jesse Ventura is a really uh, controversial and interesting guy uh, in a lot of ways. Take all of that aside, knowing him only as a wrestling announcer, as a mm. kid, I thought he was one of the funniest people I'd ever heard. Mm. Now it's a little bit on PC. You go back and you're like, oh, geez, probably couldn't get away with saying that in 2020, what you said in 1982. Certainly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, of course. The man really was flamboyant. Like, I guess the point I'm getting at is it doesn't surprise me that if, like, in this time, in this place, in this area, a guy like this could be charismatic enough to, like, roll over to, to like... There's less distance between the two than a lot would like to imagine. Yeah. You know, the showmanship and the selling of oneself, the getting over, if you will. Uh, some of his accomplishments as governor were popular. He managed to pass a light rail plan for the Twin Cities, drafted a novel property tax reform package, and sent tax rebates, which he called Jesse checks, not the most creative, I feel like, uh, to voters every year, or three, uh, every year for three years. I mean, again, we said no politics. Is there, there's some overlay here between Ventura and Trump, right? With a lot of the way he, like, pitched himself to the thing. Like, if you go back, like, Jesse's argument was essentially, like, look at these two lifetime politicians. I'm just a regular Joe like you guys, right? Like, I'm a, even though he's not really a regular Joe, he's, like, a former professional wrestler and Marine, right? Some of, yeah, some of that, I mean, there's definitely some overlap in the broad-based populism that a lot of those, that both of those guys employed as a central part of their campaign. Yeah, yeah. There's, I don't think there's a lot of overlap between the guys who they are, even though, you know, they've both got ties to professional wrestling in a certain time and have been famous for a long time for certain stuff. But yeah, definitely that broad appeal to, like, simple answers, black and white populism, for sure. They're yeah. both definitely into that vein. Uh, let's do some quick sports news this week. Uh, first one is the Los Angeles Dodgers. Shout out to Los Angeles Dodgers, the World Series champions. Uh, they're getting a lot of flack this week, though, because Justin Turner, uh, who was pulled mid-game, their third baseman, for a positive COVID test, was allowed back on the field after the game to celebrate with his team. Uh, I'm sure people have talked this to death all over sports media. Kev, did you, what did you think when you saw this story? Did you think... I only just saw about this, like, today. I think I wasn't really paying attention. Um... Yeah, I mean, if he, if he tested positive, he shouldn't have gone back out there at all. And I can understand if you're going to go back out there and your teammates want to take this risk, whatever. If you're going to be photographed, you're going to be there, man, just put the mask on. Yeah. This is this comes down to one of those simple things where we talk about so much. Dude, just throw a mask on. Him wearing, It's not that hard. Throw a mask on. Him wearing the not wearing the mask is the most egregious part for me on his part. Mm-hmm. Right? Because I'm also not naive to like the idea, like, this guy is an athlete, someone above him needed to make that call if he wasn't going to do it. No athlete is going to make the right call that they've been waiting their whole life to win a World Series for sure. with their teammates. For sure. You would need someone with 
someone above that to make that call, not leave it up to him. Yeah, somebody, somebody to enforce that. And if you're going to send him out, like I said, like just throw the mask on at the very least. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel bad a little bit for like you know the guys on this team who won this championship because it feels like the entire conversation has been sort of hijacked by this Justin Turner thing, and also I can't believe the Rays have bad coaching. Right, but like you know, I, this is probably horrible for these guys to go through this season, right? I can't imagine compared to. I bet they don't. I bet they don't care. Actually, you don't think so? No, no, I don't think that the athletes care as much. This is stuff that like people who need to to come through with blog posts on this stuff chew up. Like, I don't think the athletes are like, oh, now everybody on Twitter is talking about how we didn't wear the mask. They're like, no, we won the championship. I don't care. Yeah. I'm going to go home and That's see right. my wife, yeah. my kids, my friends, my girlfriend, whatever. I'm a World Series champion. I play for the Dodgers, make millions. I don't think they care what kind of, like, hot take think pieces are being written on Vox about them. I don't think those guys get – I wouldn't get caught up in if I was those guys because right. I don't think it's healthy to, to do that, especially when you've got so much kind of going for you as a pro athlete who just won the World Series. Uh, I want to say a quick sad farewell. Uh, earlier today it was announced that Friendly's, the local East Coast restaurant chain – Oh, come uh, on. Has filed Finally. for filed for bankruptcy once again. His latest co- uh, latest company in the restaurant industry to go the route during the pandemic, uh, coronavirus pandemic. This is from CBS News. Uh, they filed for Chapter Eleven protection on Sunday. Estimated liabilities fifty to hundred million. Uh, it did say that there is potentially someone stepping in to buy it, but everything I've read said that most of the franchises are going to be closed. Yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. That one we've only got that one left around here now, and it seems it's probably hanging on by a thread up there. Uh, there are a lot of major restaurant chains in the last month that have filed for either Chapter Eleven or Chapter Seven bankruptcy, including California Pizza Kitchen, Chuck E. Cheese, Ruby Tuesday, Sizzler, uh, and there, the list goes on. Yeah. Um, I I'm sad for Friendlies. I'll say this. I'll, I'll just share a very personal story with you guys about Friendlies. This is one of my favorite stories ever. Um, Kevin, you, of course, lived in South Utica growing up, so you're very familiar with the Friendlies that was on Genesee Street in South Utica. Yes. An institution for many years of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Go there all the time with my older sisters, my mom, dad, and I would always get my favorite thing on the menu, which was the kids' pizza. Mm. It was a little circular, personal pan, kids' pizza. So I remember one time specifically, what was your item... From friendlies, if you remember, do you said you liked bacon I don't remember melt, ice melt. cream stuff. I don't remember getting food there. I don't yes, remember ice cream. Well, I would get a fribble and a kid's pizza. This mm-hmm. was my big, my big thing. Yeah, right? yeah. So I remember this one time. My mom didn't want to go, so me and my sisters, my teenage sisters, mm-hmm. just went by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Man, great stuff. Now, mom's not there, hanging out with my 10, 11-year-older sister, the cooler older kids. Yeah, right. Going down to the old friendlies, grabbing a bite to eat. Anyway, so we order the food. I order the pizza, and I order my fribble, right? And for whatever reason, it's taken a really long time. restaurant was busy. It's taken forever. And when the order comes back out, they bring my sister's meals, but not mine. Mm-hmm. And the waitress goes, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. We forgot to put it in. I'll put it in right now. Mm-hmm. I, as like an eight-year-old kid, I'm like, uh, no, I'm so <laughs> I demand pizza. I demand pizza, right? Uh... <laughs> You know, and I'm like, I'm so hungry, blah blah blah. Yeah, and my sister's like, don't worry, they'll come out. So I'm sitting there, I'm joking, I'm doing like the thing, like, you know, pounding the knife and fork on the table, like right. a cartoon a little character, asshole. Yeah, a little asshole. 
Well, you know, and then my sister's laughing at me. And then the pizza's coming out. Finally, it's coming out. And I'm so excited. My sisters are laughing at me because I'm like, yeah, here it comes. So I reach down and I grab a slice of the pizza and I take the bite. Mm. The best bite of the pizza, right? The triangle bite. The mm. tip. That little inch on the front. That first bite. Mm. And as I bite down into the pizza and take that tip and I pull back... All the cheese on the top of the pizza comes with mm-hmm. it and slams down mm-hmm. over my jaw. Mm-hmm. Hot. A goatee of fiery <laughs> oil. A goatee yeah, yeah. of hot yeah, yeah. cheese and burning oil. And I am crying. This is the and, lessons you learned as a oh, child. Oh, holy lord. I bet you never so cavalierly took a, a bite of hot pizza like that again in your life. One would think. One would think. <laughs> One would think One that would I think. learned. To this you day. You start drinking when you get older. This story... Haunts my sister Kelly to this day. Mm. She this is her least favorite family story. She feels as though she was somehow responsible as the as my as the older sibling in the room, right? She's not, but like it, it's just this story haunts her because mm. to because what she says when she tells me the story is the quick turn from sheer excitement to utter despair that took place in your face from biting the pizza to the heat mm. hitting your face. It was a terrible moment. <laughs> uh, so shout out to Friendlies for that moment yeah. that will live in infamy. We used to go to Friendlies because the one Friendlies that's left up there by Utica College, I went to high school at Notre Dame, um, and it's right down the road. So we would descend like plagues of locusts on that Friendlies yeah. after all school dances, yes. football games, and that type <laughs> of stuff. Um, and just, you know, I mean... Especially as somebody who's grown up to work in restaurants later as I've gotten older and, you know, done some stints where you see a gang of, like, 25, 30 high school kids descending on your restaurant. Shout out to those people for being good sports, but definitely good times because we could just walk right down there. And, yeah, the one in the neighborhood is legendary. It's a real era-specific thing, this idea of having these places that felt iconic because they were close and it was, wasn't was much else, right? It's a certain well, kind all, of... It feels iconic because you were a child and that happened to yes. be the thing at the time. You know what I mean? There's kids who grow up today who will wax nostalgic about like, oh, remember Denny's. when we always used to go to whatever it is, yeah. you know? Same kind of thing. Uh, I'll give you one very, 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 very quick story about this. Another important one. One of the first times I was old enough to go to a restaurant by myself mm. with my buddies mm. was at that Friendly's. And that was where I learned that a tip to the waiter or waitress, is not just the remaining change left over that you have from paying the bill. Correct. Because I walked up to a waitress, totally non-ironically, and handed her 30 cents and said, thank you so much, and walked out. Because <laughs> I was like 13, I didn't know any better. Oh man, so stupid. Uh, that waitress probably thought, I was such a prick. I remember being young, going out in big groups, like after dances, and people are like, oh, well, I ordered, my thing on the menu says it cost... so here's $13 I'm all set and then the bill comes at the end and like the people who haven't advocated the table are just looking and you're like $80 short because shit has tax and all this other stuff when you're like 16, 17 that bill's like a little bit of a time bomb when it gets there when you go out with your friends you're like "Mm," because I only have $5 on me right I'm I'm hoping someone else has extra money that's no you can't that's no 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 that's when you just skip it because you can't go out there and be the person held up. You're like, oh, nobody's got me. You got to prearrange that. <laughs> okay, this story comes to us all the way from the mirror in the UK. Uh, a all doc- the way from across the pond. Yeah. This story. Uh, a doctor in India earlier this week paid seventy-two thousand pounds for a quote Aladdin's lamp after tricksters faked a genie and said it would bring him riches and good fortune. 
Dr. Leek Khan told police in the northeastern state of Uttar that a trickster pretended to be an occultist and made a genie appear from the lamp. Mm. But the genie was secretly a second con man who was in on the swindle. What do you know? <laughs> How old is this man? <laughs> he's a doctor. Does it say he's a doctor? The impressed... All right, if he's a doctor, okay. The impressed victim paid 7 million rupees for the lamp, but when he brought it home and a genie failed to appear, he realized he'd been the victim of an audacious scam and contacted the police. couple questions I have here. I need to know how elaborate this scam was. Because if it tricked this doctor, I'm sure that they put some work into this genie mm, scam. I would love to see the genie, the footage of the genie scam. <laughs> My second question to you is this. Okay. So let's say this whole thing happens, right? You're sitting here alone in, in the house, and a, and, a, and a guy shows up at the front door with a lamp, right? And he produces the genie in front of you. Mm. You can't dispute it. You're like, holy shit, I've been skeptical this whole goddamn time. But there's a real genie here, really here to grant me a wish. And the guy offers to sell it to you, and you say, how much? And he says, $72,000. <laughs> and you go, what? <laughs> Why? That's such a specific amount of money. It's so well, I think, stupid. I think, well, I think part of the thing there the, is the scam, that's just a, because it was a round amount of rupees. Yeah, currency seven million rupees, it. yeah. Here's my thing. Um, if Here's my thing about the genie. <laughs> it doesn't feel like enough money. What do you mean make a genie show up? Is this some fella in a pair of pants? Because Yo. I like if you, I, I need to see the genie. I don't know what, what you could do short of like. I, what if I don't a, know what you could do to convince me that the genie was real. I don't, I don't think know how you would do that. I wouldn't pay seventy-two thousand pounds to have Will Smith dressed as the genie show up to my party, let alone have an actual genie show up. I don't know, man. I think if you look at the lamp, I'll show you a picture of the lamp, which people can't see. This is on the mirror. That's the lamp, so it doesn't look very convincing. Part of me feels bad for these people, obviously taking advantage of this very stupid old man. But another yeah. part of me is like, man, you're a doctor. You get what you deserve. You're an idiot. I don't feel bad. <laughs> Fooling his money or something parted. All right, moving on. Uh, this week, uh, the <laughs> the government of Kazakhstan, mm. uh, the home country of the fictional Borat Sagdiev, has adopted a brash. New catchphrase for their tourism campaign. Kevin, without me telling you, unless you've already seen it. I have. That's right. The new tourism campaign is very nice. Mm -hmm. I think this is brilliant. Great for them. What else? <laughs> what else, Kazakhstan, I ask you? What else? Well, if you go if back... Not if not Borat. If you go back in the history, when the first Borat movie comes out, and this is from The Guardian as well, so if you want to read the deep history on it, it's in there. The first Borat movie was reviled. Mm. And they made a big, huge deal out of, like, this is not what Kazakhstan is like. Like, they didn't... Right. This is a much better move. To go, yeah, to, like, to, to lean into it. Uh, the ad shows tourists hiking with a selfie stick, saying, very nice, drinking fermented horse milk. May you leave that one out? May you don't put that one in your tourist video? Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, marveling at the architecture and posing for photographs with Kazakhs in traditional dress. All yeah, of it is... Good for them. You have to. Very you, nice. You have, this is your best angle. Kazakhstan. Always the best angle. Best this angle. is like when a politician who's getting made fun of on SNL kills the joke by going on to SNL to be like, hey, I'm your dad. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, there's the real version of the politician. Yeah. Kind of, And then you can't really hit the joke anymore. So now it's tough to hit Kazakhstan with it, right? It's a good move. I like it. I mm -hmm. like the I like the forward thinking here, Very Kazakhstan. Uh, all right. In a quick special version of Play Stupid Games, 
A Florida man this week was mauled by a leopard after paying $150 for what was called a full contact experience. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, this man paid the $150 under the idea that he was allowed to go into this pen. It was not at a zoo, mind you. No, this no. Was, these were animals that were owned by somebody in an exotic... It's, it's interesting to watch this story... From the only person in America who hasn't seen Tiger King. Because yeah. that's literally like all of Tiger King is about these renegade, like we've got big cats and you can pay money uh, to come mess with them, but bad stuff happens. Uh, the man, Dwight Taylor, has undergone two surgeries since being attacked mm -hmm. by the animal. Uh, he had arranged to play with it, rub its belly, and take mm -hmm. pictures. Uh, however, when, the, uh, when they unlocked the leopard's door, uh, Turner entered, sat in the bench. The leopard growled and attacked him, biting him in the head and the ear. Play stupid games. R.I.P. to that leopard. And they put it down? I'm, I'm sure they did, yeah. Uh, all right. And I guess, where are we at? 27? I think that's it. I'm going to skip through the rest of the dumb stories we had for the rest of the week, and we'll go right to our mailbag questions, uh, most of which are real and sent in by real readers this week. It's amazing. Mm. Uh, all right. Starting first, let's get this question. This is from Twitter follower at Colin Roberts 27. Mm. What is your perfect Thanksgiving plate? I'm going to say I feel like this question's a little early. I'll take it because I like a good question. It's November. It's not that late in November yet. We're all rushing to get to holidays. I'm seeing people putting Christmas decorations Everybody's up hungry. too. It's time. People go as soon as Halloween's over. Uh, all right. So I'm a dark meat man. So if we're starting mm. with turkey, I guess that's a good place to start. Give me some dark meat in the turkey. Mm. I'm not going to take the leg. I'm not going to be that guy. But give me some dark meat. That's what I'm here for. Mm. I'm here for stuffing. Mm -hmm. I'm here for squash of some kind, whether it's uh, a pureed squash or just some sort of roasted cut-up squash. I'm kind of not here for mashed potatoes and gravy. I know that's a little... How dare you? I'm it's just... It's always the last thing on my plate. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but it right. feels like the least consequential item of my uh, menu. Suspicious ass Italian mashed potatoes yeah. you've been subjected to, sir. Uh, but no. Uh, I'm trying to think of any sort of fringe stuff I'm forgetting here. I do like... I'm not actually a big fan of like when they put the marshmallow on top of stuff. I feel like it's a little gimmicky. You see people do that with No, like, that's... Yeah, I'm not... You know what I'm talking about? Um, I avoid the pureed squash usually. Pureed squash. There's no I, got no... I got no room for it. I do like... A, my mom makes a candied... Roasted squash, where it's chopped up into like wedges and then done with like a glaze. Anything your mom makes yeah. is excellent, so I'm sure it's great. It's very good. Um, what am I missing here? Like people do the bean green bean casserole. I guess I don't. I don't know if I feel great about green bean casserole. Do you guys do corn souffle? I, no, I don't, there's no. You don't do corn there's souffle. No green bean casserole. There's no corn souffle. No, green bean casserole is all over the place. Yeah, put, I'm just you're. At, but if you're asking me, I'm just saying I've, uh, no, I've you, never seen it at Thanksgiving in my life. What did I miss here for you that you would have put on your list? You have you have to have mashed potatoes. You of course, have mashed potatoes. You have to have gravy. Um, copious amounts of rolls. Um, copious. So many you rolls need them for the gravy for the stuff like that. You get a mix of the turkey. If there's another meat though, there might be a ham at the table. When I grew up, there was always a ham and lamb, so you might get a secondary Ooh. meat. Uh, you have to have a little cranberry sauce. You have to have some stuffing. Corn, if it's on the table. Another vegetable, if you can get it, it's on the table. If you get something like green beans on the table, that's good. Ham's a Christmas item for Italians. Yeah, ham is also Christmas. Yeah. You get ham at just, just about any time yeah. there's people getting together, there'll be a ham. Yeah, Christmas for us was ham and then some sort, and then um, the calamari, which I've talked about. In the we past. would do ham and a giant roast beef for Christmas, usually. But yeah, mashed potato is the most important part. That's the the vessel. If... My my core here is dark meat stuffing, mashed potato, 
some sort of vegetable, whether it's mm. whether I'm feeling. But that's the core there. I want some stuffing. I want some. Mm. I want. And also, if I guess do the cranberry thing. I'm kind of impartial. A lot of people are like one or the other. The cranberry is like the wasabi when you eat sushi, right? It's there to sort of reset. There's so many different flavors and stuff going on. That tart, sharp cut off to put the barriers between some of the different tastes and clean the palate is really nice. I've kind of performatively made a big deal out of like the can version mm. for my nieces and nephews over the last like 10 years and like for Thanksgiving because the family thinks it's funny. I'm like, you gotta have the can. It's gotta look like the can. You know what I mean? I don't really... It's true. I it's don't true. really care. It's better because you can cut it as a slice. You can. When you leave <laughs> you it as the can, you slice. can cut it as an even slice and you put it on the leftover sandwich. Yes. Which, as my cousin Colin knows very well, the leftover sandwich after the meal is the true best Thanksgiving plate. Some 40 fucking Cheshire yeah. play out Big here. Time. I know you're talking Big about. Time. Yeah. You know what it is. I do think the jellied canned cranberry on a sandwich is an underrated move all the time. That's slice of it with turkey, yeah. That being said, if people come in now and they're like, oh, I've made a special cranberry sauce. I'm into that. I'm into that too. I'm, I'm, I, give me both. More one of, of the One of the beautiful things about holidays and something like Thanksgiving, specifically these, ho- you know, these holidays that are about families, and as people grow and get older, the joining of families and the growth of new families is it's open table for anything you want to bring. You made mm-hmm. some wild cranberry sauce, I would love to taste it. You're some wild vegetarian vegan and you made some like alternate take on this, I'd love to try that too. Bring everything to the table. That's what the holidays are for. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Good question, Colin. Thank you very much. Uh, all right. Also from Twitter, this is from Scorcho. Mm. Great, great Twitter name, guy. Shout out to Scorcho. Shout out to Scorcho. <laughs> Says you're trapped in a battle royal scenario in a Home Depot. You can have two items in the store to help you get out alive. What are you choosing? This is a very morbid question, and I'm. It's weird that we watched that video about the Belco experiment after yeah, yeah. this yeah, question yeah. came in like three days ago. Um, um, so good job, Scorcho. Okay. Huh. My first thought... How many people do we know? We don't know, probably. Okay, so if it's a Battle royal type scenario, let's just pick a number. Let's say 50 people, right? Or uh, whatever, right? Are you going for some sort of weapon? Or some sort of like... You don't want to get in like a mower. Like a riding mower. <laughs> so you're running around in the... There's nothing from a mower. I mean, I guess... I don't know. It's tough. Because you got to think... You want some defense. You don't just want to go get like a machete or a pipe, I feel like. Maybe you do. <laughs> I don't You're know. Good. You you would need a weapon. A Nothing weapon. You would have yeah. For projectiles. Uh-huh. So whatever weapon you would yeah, be most tough. comfortable to handle. You know what I mean? Like some people would say grab an axe. Some people would say an axe is too heavy. I can't swing an axe. Sledgehammer too heavy. I need something. Depending on your level of comfort, strength, size of the weapon. Then after that, I mean, I feel like you would get trapped up there. But don't you just go get those cherry pickers that go way up high oh, and just go up pickers. and get sky yes. high and try to wait it out? But I feel like they'd burn you out. Like like. Uh, what are, hell or something. what are your thoughts on like pipe as weapon? Probably hurt your hand you using a pipe. You got something better. A pipe is a weapon that you get when you don't have a better choice. You're scrambling through. You're at the goddamn grabbing Home Depot. For... I would take an axe over a pipe every single time. I'm trying to think of something. In like a battle royal, like that type of yeah. scenario? Yeah, of course. Those machetes aren't very sharp that you get from there. No, not at all. You got to yeah, sharpen them. Sharpen I mean, they, them. They can't, yeah. yeah, they don't sell them sharpened. That's a shame. Uh, all right. Let's see. What else do we have here? Okay. This is uh this is what I saw from Twitter as well. Do you have any movie quotes or quotes some other things that you use regularly in your life that no one else uses or recognizes? Oh god, yeah, tons. This I thought about this for a little bit beforehand and I was struggling to come up with any that people would recognize. I do a lot of stuff from other podcasts I hear. You might notice that when you do the end of the show I'm always referencing about 
15 other podcasts I listen to. Uh, I say the words I see a lot, which is something I stole Mm. from a podcast. Um, The only one I can reference that I do on this show occasionally to you to make you laugh is I quote that one episode of Aqua Teen Hunger Force where I go, what else? What else? Shoot. Whatever that, I do that a lot. You know what's funny? I always thought that that was a Stewie Griffin from Family Guy thing. No, that's uh, Aqua Teen. Uh, when they're doing the list for that episode where they're coming up with the names. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what else? What else? Yeah, oh, yeah. yes. Who are our rad names? <laughs> yeah, that one. That's what I'm... That, I do that all the yeah, time. There's a lot of stuff like that. It. I assume nobody knows a lot of my weird stuff. Mm. Um, I feel like I, I don't... I make, I make references enough to the point where people don't even know that I'm making a reference. So it's not even like I'm saying some weird non sequitur. It's just something... A turn of phrase I use that I've taken from somewhere, like I use in my own head to like make references and stuff that I know nobody knows what I'm talking about. I mean, certainly wrestling stuff. Honestly, I do. Like, there's a lot of like that's gotta be blah. I mean, there's a lot of like wrestling like jokes I carry over into real life that I don't think people are aware I'm doing wrestling stuff. Sometimes mm. I used to work that into. Um, like classwork with my kids like I would do, I'd be sneaking in like wrestling stuff like that's the bottom line okay you know just like weird yeah. like weird thing like just and, like no one gets it but it's for me uh, so yeah I would say uh, Aqua Teen and wrestling I've sort of snuck in over the years mm. uh, I don't know you want another minute on that or I can move on you want to think about I'm, it I'm not going to think of a satisfying answer off the top of my head like, it'll be one of those ones where I come up with it afterwards and I'm like oh this is that thing <laughs> yeah. uh, okay so here's one from Cousin Joe uh, if you open a menu, what promised item will make you the most excited and leave you the most disappointed? An example is I feel like anytime anyone puts a, a Philly cheesesteak on a menu, it's never as exciting as I'm expecting it to be. Mm. Uh, I, over the years, have said that uh, any sort of fajita plate is a is a miss for me. I feel like that's something that I see on a menu, and it seems like it'd be good, and you're excited for it, and it's just kind of a downer, and it long doesn't time, do it for me. You're just slightly left center on target there. A long time friend of the show, Anthony Colenzo, will tell you it's not that you see the fajitas on the menu and you're like, they look good to me. You're sitting there trying to figure out what you want. That sizzling plate comes out to <laughs> yes. somebody else, and you're like, ooh, you know what? Maybe that's what I want. And then you get it, and you're like, oh, that's not what I wanted. No. That's not the thing. Um, I feel like there's a couple different things that fall into this, but anything specifically with a specialty, like I'll, I really like a Cuban sandwich, oh, yeah. right? Cuban sandwich, one of my favorite things. If I yep. see it or know somewhere yep. it makes it, I'll always it's try it and call. see what it is. But a Cuban sandwich is also something that has specific ingredients that make it what it is, right? Yeah. So it's only got X amount of things. And the amount of times I've seen them with either like one of the meats is wrong or something different, or they'll just throw like random things or like lettuce and tomato or like sweet pickles or like a different like mayo or weird stuff it's like no this is if you're gonna call it this on the menu it has to be these things right here and that's it there's something really disappointing i think about ordering something you know you like already like a cuban sandwich and getting a diminished version of it it's a real it's a real kick in the teeth definitely with that at least it's nice because you can tell by the list of ingredients it's not like a preparation style thing if the ingredients say they're going to be right, then it's going to be right. You know yeah. what I mean? But, yeah. All right, and here's our last question. We'll close up for this week's show. Uh, this is a great question. Uh, let's say you were cursed and sent back in time to your first day of middle school. You cannot return. You are just stuck there in your sixth or seventh grade body, but with your adult brain. So, mm. to make the best of it, do you think you could become the most popular kid in school 
Or would it be impossible to fit in and you'd wind up being a total outcast who gets the shit beat out of them on a regular occasion? Oh my god, day one, you'd be the coolest kid in school. <sighs> Never. Number one, if you put my 35-year-old brain into my 12, 13-year-old body, nobody's beating me up. You're not going to beat me up. It's true. Because I know that you're just some soft-ass 13-year-old that will crumple. You're not going to beat me. Like I'm going to know the psychologically. Brock yeah, yeah. No, there's no chance. And then I know that it's like, oh, wow. Well, listen, you're 13 right now, so just start lifting the hell out of weights. Like By the time I'm 16, no, no chance. Uh, no chance. If you sent me back to my adult brain, it would be... As a teacher, I'm going to tell you right now that my adult brain does not make my kids think that I am cool or interesting or funny to be around. They think I'm a total dweeb and a total geek. Mm -hmm. So I would think that in my head, I would think I was being cool, but I'd be overcompensating because I'm a neurotic mess. Well, and I would definitely be the same loser that I was in middle school, even with my adult brain. That's certainly a possible avenue. Yeah, I think that's, that's certainly a possible avenue. Yeah. You would transcend. Like, if you went, if you got sent back with your adult brain, you wouldn't care about being the most popular kid in the school. They would not understand any of the stuff I'd be talking about as another sixth grader. They'd be like, why is this sixth grader obsessed with, like, 1990s Liverpool football? Like, you, you, just, were... <laughs> you wouldn't be talking about that stuff. I would! You're not just going to charge right out like, no. Uh, talking to them about the joys of uh, Kenny Dogleash. Uh, all right. <laughs> that's it for this week's show I guess I have I only have one Spotify pick for this week and it's another mm. shout out uh, to my good friend Dano I told you I'd have another shout out to Dano mm, it's true you did Dano sent, Dano sent me a message this week about a song that I should include on this week's podcast it is from a little band called The Grateful Dead the song is called they got him too the song is called Damn, everybody out here Ro Jimmy and the reason that I'm putting this particular version on is it was because it was recorded live at Barton Hall at Cornell University mm. in 1977. Wow. So live Cornell Grateful Dead experience from 1977, a little track called Road Jimmy. Kev, before I tell you, how long do you think this song is? Mm. Uh, 17 minutes. <laughs> 11 minutes. It's pretty close. Not too bad. My first guess is going to be 12. So there you go. Special shout out for Dano. Thanks for hitting me up with this Cornell Damn, they track. They got him with the dead, too. They did. It's we're crazy. Getting, we're getting there, Everybody. man. Uh, any tracks for you, or have you thought about it yet? Uh, I haven't given it a ton of thought yet. We're a little inside baseball. We're doing a little early today. Um, I will definitely be throwing uh, something by Outcast mm -hmm. on this week. A lot of articles, because it's the 20-year anniversary of Stanconia. I don't yeah. know if I'll pick something off that album, but I'm listening to Outcast a lot this week, just because of... The nature of like the articles and that kind of stuff. So uh, it'll be something from those guys. Will be on the list for sure. And then after that, I don't know. I gotta look and see what your picks are all six years, and then it'll influence mine a little bit to try to. I always end up making my picks secondly, and I try to you know make sure I'm not repeating any artists and bringing some that makes sense. To look for themes or anything. Uh, all right, that's it. Uh, Cyanar humanoids keep mm -hmm. it tight. Woodstock lives. Uh, hope you're listening to this when you are voting. Yeah, go vote. Very long episode today, specifically, so you can listen to it if you're stuck we'll out vote. there. We'll see you on the other side. Yeah, uh, tape machines are rolling. We are desperately, desperately out of time. Uh, and we'll just see you next week, hopefully, for another episode of the Uticast. Vote!